in honor of the saints we remember today. So any family members are encouraged to take a carnation after the service. Also a reminder, the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes need to be brought to the church by next Sunday, November 12th. I've seen a few of them cycling in today. There will be a hymn sing next Sunday, November 12th. You're invited to come sing your favorite hymns, and that's going to start at 3 o'clock in the sanctuary here. And also, on November 15th at 5.30, we're going to have an all-church Thanksgiving dinner. And the church is going to provide the turkeys, the mashed potatoes, and the stuffing. Uh, You guys bring the rest, bring a dish, a side dish. And we're still looking for a couple people willing to cook a turkey. So if you can cook a turkey and you're able to help, please call the church office, get a hold of Connie. So take this time here to greet, and then we'll kick the service off. Good morning. I'd like to welcome those to the service today, and I'd also like to welcome those that are uh, listening on the radio and those that are watching on uh, Facebook Live as well. Would you please rise and join me to call worship taken from Psalm 30? I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for a night, But rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favor. 
What is gained by being silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Now let us sing, He Lives, 220 and 234, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
may be seated. As Keith mentioned during the announcements this morning, today is All Saints Sunday. All Saints Day, which is November 1st, is a day of remembrance established by the church to remember all the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who have departed from this life and have gone to be with the Lord. At First Church, we celebrate All Saints Day by reading the names of those who passed away over the past year. And white carnations are on the altar in their memory, and any family members that are here today are invited to take one after the service. It's also an opportunity for us to reflect on God's forgiveness and his salvation. We are saved in Christ and in him alone. Not only do we give thanks for and celebrate the memory of our loved ones, we also give thanks to God for his salvation that he's made available through Christ's death on the cross. Jesus went before us into death in order to conquer death, and he goes before us into eternal life to open eternal life to all who believe in him. Revelation 7 gives us a picture of what this great multitude, this, this cloud of witnesses looks like. In Revelation 7, 9, and 10, the Apostle John writes this, After I looked, and there before me, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. So today we gather here to give thanks for our loved ones, and we give thanks for the salvation that we have in Christ. So let us give thanks today for these brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone, whom God has granted rest from their labors. Larry J. Haberkamp, Lillian E. Werwell, Irma M. Holscher, Charlene L. Ganger, Dale L. Schellenberger, and Serena M. Kaiola. Let's pray together. Almighty God, who holds in your hand the souls of the righteous, we give thanks and praise for all the generations of the faithful who've served you in godliness and love, and who dwell forever now in your presence. We bless you for all who have enriched the world with truth and beauty, who've labored in their service of their fellows and devoted themselves to you and to your church. We bless you for all near and dear to us, for our fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, for those who've helped and defended and loved and cherished us. Grant that they, that all the good we've seen and known in them may continue to inspire and guide us, that we may always love them and hallow their memory, and that when we have fulfilled our time on earth, we may, part, we have, may have a part with them in your heavenly kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, we also gather here today uh, to, to lift up other prayers and concerns as well. Lord, today's a, a great reminder of the price that you paid for us and for our salvation. Lord God, your word says that, that Jesus died and rose again for us. And, and if he has done that for us, if he has already given us everything we need for salvation, we know that we can also turn to him in our times of need because he's already given us himself. Your word says that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so today we come here in humble trust and hope that you will meet us in our time of need. And so we come now, Lord, and lift up the burdens that we carry into this place. We give them to you and lay them at the foot of your cross. 
There are people in our church and our community who are in need of healing. And so we pray, Lord, that your healing hand would be upon them. We know fully, Lord God, that you can and do heal in miraculous ways. But we also know, Lord, that you can and do heal through ordinary means. And so however you see fit, Lord, we pray that you bring healing to those who are sick. We also lift up those who are in need this morning, Lord, other needs that aren't as obvious as physical illness. Lord, we pray that you would bless and sustain them as well. For those that are in need of provision, we pray that you would provide through your church. We pray, Lord, for those that are in need of encouragement, that we can, as your church, as your body, can offer a word of encouragement and hope to them. And for those, Lord, who need guidance, we pray it is the wisdom of your word through your spirit that you, that you can offer them. Lord, our, our, there's also much going on in our nation and our world that needs your help and your guidance. Lord, we pray for our state in this upcoming uh, ballot initiative, Lord. We pray uh, that, that as we go to the polls on Tuesday, Lord, you would give us wisdom and in, in that you would allow us, Lord, to vote in a way that honors and pleases you, Lord God, and that we as a people would be able to uphold the sanctity of all human life and that we would be, uh, that we would be bold in that, Lord. Uh, we also pray for what's happening in the nation of Israel and, and Gaza right now, Lord. Uh, we do pray for a quick end to this conflict, uh, for the protection of innocent lives that are in harm's way. And we do pray, Lord, that those who committed these evil acts of terrorism would be brought to justice and it would be done swiftly. And, and Lord God, we just pray that you would protect those that are still in harm's way. Lord God, we also lift up those in our nation, our state, and our local governments that are in authority over us. Your word calls us to do that, whether we agree with them or not. And so we lift up uh, this day our national leaders. We pray for our president, the Congress, and Supreme Court, that they would have wisdom beyond their means, Lord, and have a hunger and thirst after righteousness, that they would be filled. We pray all these things and, 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 and commit them all to you in, in humble trust and faith that you will work according to your will. We pray these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I want to invite our children forward for children's chat with Miss Maria. You guys can come forward at this time. than normal. And you still sound like you're sleeping. Let's try that again. Good morning. Oh, that was a smidgen better. All right. 
So, I want to talk about seasons today. How many seasons, how many weather seasons do we have in a year? Four, right? What are they? Cold and windy. When is it cold and windy? In the winter? Okay. What other season do we have? Fall. That's what it is right now, right? Yes. Summer. Hadley. Spring. Okay. So there are four seasons, and the weather kind of changes with each one of those seasons, right? Are there any other seasons in the year? Are you sure? Think outside the box. Yes. Thanksgiving is a holiday and it falls in fall. What about soccer season? There's not such a thing as soccer season? Hmm. What about baseball season? Yeah. Football season? Yeah. Are there different other kinds of seasons besides just what the weather does? Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes we have different seasons in our lives. Now, this might not make sense to you guys, but when you get older, you realize that when you're, you go through different seasons, like you guys are kids, so you're in the fun season of your life, okay? Then you grow up and you're in the adult season of your life where you have to like do adult things, go to work, chores, take care of your family, and then you get to be grandparents. And that's a whole other season I understand that is awesome. Not that I would know, but you know. So there are different seasons. And in Second Timothy today, Paul tells us that we need to be prepared in season and out of season. What do you think that means? To be prepared in season and out of season. Do you think that could mean we need to be prepared now? Like in the fall? No. Yes. And we need to be prepared going into the winter, right? Because that season is coming. And so we also need to be prepared for the different seasons in our lives. Okay? So as three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, you're in this season of your life. But when you get into junior high and high school, those are like new seasons of your life. And so we always have to be prepared. How can we be prepared? What do we do to get prepared? Well, that's a start. Can we read the Bible? Can we what else could we do? Pray? Abigail? Or not Abigail? Yep. Addie? What? You just forgot. That happens. Worship. How do you worship? You sing? How many of you like to sing songs? Well, singing songs is like worship. Yeah, that's a way to prepare our heart. And the more we spend time with Jesus learning, the more we're prepared for the next season of our life. 
Okay? So that's what Paul was trying to tell Timothy in his letters, that we need to be prepared no matter what comes our way, the good days, the bad days, the okay days, we need to be prepared. And to be prepared, we need to pray to Jesus and make sure we're doing the right thing. Okay? Is that easy to do? Good. I'm glad you think that's easy to do. It should always be easy to do. All right, can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children and their eager minds and hearts to learn. Be with them in this season of their life. Help them to soak you in and understand how much you love them so that as they prepare for the future seasons of their lives, that they have that knowledge and that background to fall back on. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you, Miss Maria, for that children's chat this morning. The choir comes forward for our song this morning, our special music. I just want to point out our offering today, as it is often on the first Sunday of every month. We'll go to support the general operating fund here at First Church. So I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. Um, and really giving is, is one of the many ways that we can worship the Lord together by giving back to him, by, by giving what he has already given us. And so I encourage you to do that this morning. Let me pray for us as, and, and thank God for the opportunity we have to give back to him. Father God, we are so grateful, Lord, for all your many blessings and provisions in our life. And this is an opportunity for us now to give back to you out of what you have already given us. So we thank you and praise you for all this, Lord, and ask that you would further the work of your kingdom through this offering this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite the deacons to come forward to collect the offering this morning.
standing for the scripture reading today, coming from 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with the sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together again. Lord God, as we gather now around your word, I pray that your spirit would be present in this place. Lord, your word is is a gift to us that we may know you and love you and serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I pray that you would help us to understand it rightly this morning and apply it to our lives. We pray your Holy Spirit would, would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, Josephine was, was tasked with speaking to a, a grandparent for part of a school project. They were supposed to interview him and ask him questions. And so uh, we called up her great-grandma, Judy, who lives in Canton, one of Allie's grandmothers that is still living. And, and Josephine got to talk with her and, and ask her questions about what her life was like and those sorts of things. You know, there's a lot of value and a lot of wisdom in hearing from those that have gone before us, right? And and learning from uh, our our parents, our grandparents. And in Josephine's case, she was blessed to speak to her great-grandma. In fact, when Josephine was just a baby, we have a picture of Josephine being held by her great-great-grandma and and got a picture of five generations of, of Allie's side of the family together as one. And that is such a blessing to be able to have. You see, there's a, lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of value that we can be found in those relationships and in that wisdom. Learning from people who have walked the walk, right? And have lived through so many experiences. In essence, that's what Paul is doing here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul writing to uh, Timothy near the end of his life. You see in verse 6, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. Right? He's not sitting at an airport waiting to take off on a flight. Right? That's not the departure he's talking about. He's writing here near the end of his life. And he is hoping to pass wisdom from his experience as a minister of the gospel to Timothy so that he can continue the work that God has called him to do. And so for us here today, you know, with the Bible reading plan and, and All Saints Sunday, it just happened to come together that we can look at this passage as we remember those that have gone before us, as we reflect on their life and their faith, 
and what God has to say to us during this time. We have a passage here where Paul, at the end of his life, is passing on words of wisdom to a younger friend and compatriot. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is live life in light of the end. Let me say that again. He is encouraging Paul to live life in light of the end. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. So Paul here is saying, we should live our lives based on what we know to be true about where our lives are going and about what God is doing and will do in this world. And so if we want to live a life worthy of God, if we want to live a life that is worthy of, of uh, his grace and his forgiveness and his kingdom, we need to, we need to live a, a life worth living is grounded in the certain hope of Christ's return. It is grounded in the sure promise that God makes us that one day Christ will return and he will gather the, the living and the dead. All those that have, who have died in Christ will be brought together and will experience hope. Right? As Christians, that is what we base our lives on, is that, is that there is more to life than we see right in front of our faces. Turn on the news. Look around the world, right? There is a lot of chaos. There is a lot of violence. There is a lot of evil. There is a lot to be hopeless about. But if we believe what Scripture says, if we believe that God will judge the living and the dead through Christ, that if we believe that Christ will return and establish his kingdom and gather his people together, then there is much to be hopeful about. It's not found in this life. It's not found in this world. It is found in Christ and in a relationship with him. And so Paul encourages Timothy then to do three things here. He encourages him to sit keep his sights on the promises of God, on persevering in God, and on the prize that is found in God. So first he tells them to, to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now Timothy was in a unique position where he was charged with, with pastoring a church. So, so Paul here is telling them to preach the word. Now we may, not everyone here is given that charge. But we all are given the charge to ground our lives on the promises of God. To allow God's word to, to infiltrate us to such a degree that our lives can be built up on the sure promises that he has made us. See, the problem, and it's already happening in, in Paul and Timothy's day, and it continues to happen today, is that, is that people like to take the easy way out, right? They like to take the path of least resistance. And so Paul here is warning Timothy about, about how people will turn away from the truth and only surround themselves with teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. You see, that's the, the, human, and temptation, the human temptation and desire to, to just be affirmed in, in, in who you are and, and not be challenged by the truth of God. All right, we have a tendency as human beings to... to to just surround ourselves with what is easy and what is comfortable and what is convenient, to not be challenged by the truth. 
But if we are grounding our lives in God's Word, there's going to be times when we are confronted with the truth and it's going to, it's going to make us change who we are. It's going to make us change the things that we do, the words that we say, the thoughts that go through our mind, so that we can be brought more in line with God's Word and His promises. That's why he says that God's Word is, is meant to correct, to rebuke, to encourage. There's both a, a revealing, right? When we, when we read the Word of God, it, it helps us to see those areas in our life that are not in line with God's will and His character. So it reveals those things that we call sin. But it also helps us to know what to do with that, to turn away from it, to embrace the grace and the forgiveness of Christ and to encourage us to continue to seek Him out in our lives. So God's Word has the ability to help us to see where we're falling short, but it also helps us to to turn to God and find that grace and that forgiveness that we need. And so as God's people, we are if we want to live a life worthy of Him, we are to build our lives on the promises of God's Word. And that affects all areas of our life. One helpful way to remember that is to think about how it impacts our head, our heart, and our hands. You guys have probably heard that before. When we embrace God's word with our head, our heart, and our hands, we allow it to transform our entire lives. And so we embrace God's word and his promises in our head by by reading and studying and memorizing scriptures. You see, when we when we read the Word of God, it helps us to know who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And it's important for us to know that with our head. So that's why we encourage people to read the Word on a regular basis. Reading is like, is like that steady stream that flows through our lives. You know, reading just a few verses a day or a chapter today can have such a powerful impact. You're not going very deep, but over time that stream can can make a powerful impact. Think of a rock tossed in the middle of that stream. The water constantly flowing by will eventually shape that rock because the water is continually passing over it. That's what happens in our lives when we regularly read God's Word. We may not be going deep. We're not doing a full-fledged study, but that regular reading of God's Word is like a stream flowing through us. And, and it allows God's Word to shape our hard hearts to smooth away those rough edges so that we can become more like Him. So just reading God's Word is really important, but also studying it is important too. Now, if reading the Word on a regular basis is like a, like a stream flowing through your life, studying the Word is like digging a deep well. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, but you're able to get past the surface and be able to find a source of living water deep down inside. When we study the Word, we, we pause on, on particular passages or books of the Bible and we really dig into it, right? And you can use resources like uh, a good study Bible or a commentary or even like a Bible study um, like many of you participate in throughout the week. Those are all opportunities to dig in deeper into God's Word so that you can move beyond a, a surface level understanding but dig deep into what God has in store for us in His Word. Now, it's not an option of one or the other. Both are good and necessary 
for the believer. It's important to read God's Word on a regular basis. Allow His Word to just wash over you and flow through you. But it's also important to take that time to study it, to dig down deep, to have a better understanding of what it is so that we can apply it to our lives. And and memorizing Scripture is so important too. I won't talk about that a whole lot, but when you memorize Scripture, it, it sinks down in, right? And it's amazing when you memorize Scripture, right? Sometimes it happens just by accident. If you're reading the Word a lot, you're just going to soak it in and it's going to stick with you. But if you're intentional about memorizing Scripture, you will be amazed at how often over the course of a day or the course of a week that that Scripture comes to mind, right? You may be in a particular situation and all of a sudden you you remember a, a Scripture passage that you've been reading or studying and it helps you to then navigate that day at work. Or it helps you refocus back on the Lord when you're having a discouraging day. God's word, when you hide God's word in your heart, it has the ability to to come back to the surface at those times when you least expect it. So one of the ways that we stay focused on the promises of God is by using our head to read and to study and to memorize scripture. But we also need to allow it to impact our hearts. So when we read scripture, it can't just be a mental exercise. Right? It's not about just about learning things at an at a intellectual level, but it's about allowing us to know God so that we can have a relationship with him, allow his word to impact our hearts. You see, the word is the way that God, is the gift that God has given us so that we can know him better. God desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us and, and the means through which he's revealed himself is his word. Yes, we can learn about God's power and, and glory and majesty in creation, but, but only through his word can we learn about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it's through his word that we, we come to know him at a deeper level and, and through God's Holy Spirit, but it's all maintained through a, a regular study of God's word. So God's word is relational, but it should also lead us to worship. As we read God's word, it should impact our hearts in such a way that we say, Lord, you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise, right? It should move us to be in awe of God and who he is and what he's done for us. If we're reading just words on a page, right? If, it's, if it just stays in our, in our heads as an intellectual exercise, we're never going to be moved to worship God. But if you allow God's word to impact your heart, you're going to read a passage and it's going to move you to to a a position of awe and gratitude and thankfulness for who God is and what he's done for you. So it impacts our heads, our hands, or and then, excuse me, our heads, our heart, and then finally our hands. God's word is meant to be lived out. It's meant to shape us and form us so that we are more like Jesus in everything that we do. And so as we read God's word, uh, as, we, as we study it and read it, as we allow it to impact our lives in a personal relationship with Jesus, it then should impact how we live in this world. God's word should shape our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes. And there should be something different about you as a Christ follower than everything, everybody else in the world. God's word should shape you in such a way that you then go and live it out. James 1 talks about a person who goes and looks in a mirror, right? God's word 
his perfect law is like a mirror that we look into and it helps us to see ourselves for who we truly are and who God is in light of who God is. But if we just look at ourselves in a mirror and walk away unchanged, we're missing the point. We read God's word, we study it so that it can shape us and change us and transform us so that we can then live it out in our daily lives. It's the head, it's the hands, the heart and the hands. And finally, before we move on, God's word also invites us to live for something greater than ourselves. Right? We, are, we, we love stories about people who, who give themselves to a, greater, a cause greater than themselves. You know, we think of players on a team giving themselves to that team in order to win a championship. We think of parents who self-sacrifice for their children. And coming up this week is Veterans Day when we think of all those veterans, when we think of the soldiers in our armed forces who have given of themselves for their country. There's something special about a person who gives themselves to a cause greater than their own. Well, there's no greater cause that you can give yourself to than the kingdom of God. Right? There's no greater purpose in life than to give your life for the cause of Christ. That is our greatest cause. That is our greatest purpose. And that happens when we base our lives and ground our lives on the promises of God. So second thing that Paul encourages Timothy to do is to persevere, to stay focused on persevering for Christ. In verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Endurance is a hard-earned Christian virtue, isn't it? It's not something that comes easily or naturally. In fact, it's only developed through difficult experiences. And anybody can attest to the fact that life in this world is not easy, right? Sin and the impact of sin in this world make it a difficult place to live. Jesus even tells his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. Endurance is an important Christian virtue. Eugene Peterson was a pastor and author, and he wrote a book once about discipleship, and it was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Right, think about that for just a second. Discipleship, giving yourself to Christ, is about a long obedience in the same direction. It's something that takes time, it takes effort, and it may not always be a straight path, but we are going hard after Christ. When I think of endurance, I can't help but think of the movie Rocky. Right, many of you guys are familiar with that movie, right? Rocky is this no-name boxer who's seeking to just go the distance in a fight against the champion. And, and if I need to give a spoiler alert for a decades-old movie, uh, at the end of Rocky One, he goes the distance. He doesn't win. The decision goes to Apollo Creed, but he wins. He accomplishes his goal of going the distance. He perseveres. He endures all the hardship, all the fighting, all of the pain in order to accomplish his goal. See, God is calling us to hold on to him, to persevere, to endure through whatever hardships we experience. Life will not always be easy. It's not always going to be a straight, easy path that God has laid before us. But he invites us to hold on to him, to cling to him and not let go. And so we endure by keeping our focus on the prize. 
We endure by keeping our sights set on Jesus. We endure by by committing ourselves to him and to his cause. Paul talks elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9 about how following Christ is like like a, a person who is preparing for a race or preparing for a fight. They go through all of the training in order to finish well. That is what God is calling us to do, to set our sights on him, to have the self-discipline to stick with it. But he also reminds us that we don't run alone. In verse 8, he says there are others who are longing for the appearing of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, he talks about how we shouldn't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but we should continue to meet so that we can encourage and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are given people, our families, our, our parents, our grandparents, our siblings, friends, the person across the sanctuary that, that you know, right? We are given examples, godly examples of what it means to stay faithful and we can encourage one another to stay strong and to stay faithful. And finally, the third thing that Paul says is to stay focused on the prize. He talks about this crown of righteousness that is in store for him. Again, Paul is building on a sports metaphor here. He talked about finishing the race. Uh, the crown of righteousness is a, uh, he's using a, um, a common example in, in sporting events in his day. There'd be a wreath that was placed on the head of the winner as a symbol of their accomplishment. And Paul is saying for all those who endure, all those who stand firm in their faith, God will give them a crown of righteousness. But here's the thing. It's not righteousness that you earn. It's his righteousness that you receive. See, Scripture testifies that it is not our self-righteousness that earns God's favor, but it is the righteousness of Christ applied to us. So here's why this is important. It's not about a race where we're trying to beat other people to the finish line. All we have to do is stand firm. All we have to do is keep our focus on Christ, remain faithful, and God will reward all of us the crown of righteousness that Christ earned through his perfect obedience to the Father. Some of us finish strong and run through that finish line. Some people finish crawling hand over hand to reach there. We don't always have the straightest path to the finish line. But here's what God promises us. Everyone who remains faithful, everyone who has put their trust in Christ will receive the reward. God doesn't grade on a curve. There is one thing that we must do in order to experience that salvation and receive that crown, and that is put our trust in Christ and Him alone. That is where our hope lies. That is the foundation of our faith. That is grace. Because Christ finished the race for us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. All we have to do is keep our eyes focused on him, on that prize, and we will experience that reward. You see, the reward is not... When we think of, when we think of what God has done for us, the many blessings he's provided in this life and the, the blessings he promises to provide in the next, we can get real caught up in the stuff, can't we? the streets of gold, the the mansions, right? The pearly gates. We get real caught up in the things that God says he will do for his people. 
and those things are good in and of themselves, but we got to make sure we aren't confusing the blessings with the one who provides them for us. You see, the real prize that God has given us, the real prize that God offers to us is himself. That is our reward, is a personal relationship with God that will never end. Revelation 21 and 22 describes that place, and, and it's like a new Eden. God is establishing a place where he will be with his people and, and, and be present with them for all time. You see, that is our reward, is God himself. He gives us himself. And that's in a, re- a reward we can experience in part now by giving ourselves to Christ, by knowing him through a personal relationship in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And one day, Lord willing, we will be gathered together with his people and experience that in its fullness. We are going to prepare for communion now. And, and I asked um, Barb and Sue if they could lead us in two verses of amazing grace. The reason I picked this is because, uh, it, because it encapsulates this hope that we have so well. The first verse reminds us of the grace that we have in Christ. It is not anything we've earned for ourselves, but we receive it from the Lord. And then that last verse talks about that hope, that future promise. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let's stand and let's sing those two verses together. must also remember that our hope is not just for some future experience, but it is a a hope that we can live confidently in now. C.S. Lewis once said that, that you aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in. You aim for earth and you get neither, right? When we are focused on Christ, when we are set our sights on him, grounded in his word, and we persevere and we keep our sights set on the prize, then he will fill us and we will experience his kingdom in in his presence here in this life now as well. And when we take communion, when we gather around his table, it is both a present and future experience and hope. We gather together now and and we, we receive the elements as a reminder of what Christ 
did for us in the past and the hope that we have in Him. It reminds us that He died for us and that we don't come to this table on our own merit or our own accord, but we come here because Jesus invites us to come, that He is our Savior who died, that our sins would be forgiven, and He invites us to experience that new life and that hope that is found only in Him. And it also points us forward to the future. And that's why it's so, so important and so helpful to celebrate communion on, on a day like today because it reminds us of that future celebration in God's kingdom when he will gather all his saints together and he will celebrate the, the wedding supper of the lamb where, where Christ and his bride, the church, will be united together forever, never to be separated again. And on that day, we will remember and rejoice that it is only in Christ and through Christ that we are saved. And so we, we look to the past at Christ's death and his resurrection. We, we have hope firmly grounded in the present, in, our, in, in the salvation that we experience now. And we also look forward to the day when we will be gathered together in the kingdom of God, celebrating our Savior with all of his people. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for your presence and your grace here in this place. Um, Lord God, we thank you that, that you, re, you reward all your people with the crown of righteousness, not of our own, but of your righteousness. Lord God, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We have all fallen short of your glory, but we thank you that in Christ our sins are forgiven. Help us to remember that now, and as we take these elements, help us to, to humbly confess our need for you and give you thanks and praise and glory for all that you've done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it. said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I know today we probably have some visitors with us, and so I just want to remind you, uh, we will, uh, in just a moment, I'll invite you forward. You can come down either uh, side and receive the elements at the altar. If you're unable to come forward for any reason, there'll be a pair of elders that are happy to serve you in the pews as, as everybody else comes forward. So I invite you now to receive this sacrament to your comfort.
is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And his blood, which was shed for you, that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of your body and blood, which is broken and shed for us that our sins would be forgiven. I pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may know you, love you, and serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we may live for you this day and all the days of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing hymn. I believe we're singing number 479, verses 1 and 4. Um, as we do that, um, we're going to start something a, a little new. We'll see how this goes. But I'm going to make myself available up front for prayer. Um, we have an opportunity all the time to pray over you during the church service. But if you are in need of prayer this morning, if there's something on your heart or your mind that you'd like someone to pray for, I'm happy to do that. I'll be right up here off to the side. Just come forward and, and uh, just get my attention. I'd love to pray with you and for you today. So let's close our service by singing our final hymn. make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.